0: It was remarkable to hear from Jordan Cyril in the last half hour about arriving in Bucha, seeing the civilians that have been killed by Russian troops, a reminder of just how brutal uh, Russian troops have been when they're occupying parts of Ukraine. Certainly those areas north of Kiev, we expect to see worse as well. Other places, the work has begun in other suburbs and other towns outside of Kiev uh, as well. And another reminder today, a missile attack on a train station, a crowded train station, because people are trying to flee that area of eastern Ukraine, a crowded train station, a missile attack by uh, the Russians again, uh, at least 50 civilians killed, women, kids, the elderly, many more injured, some badly. Military analysts believe Russia is regrouping and refocusing its invasion on the east of the country now, and that would be a reminder of that today. And that brings with it the sobering reality that this could turn into a long and bitter war of attrition in eastern and southern Ukraine. That kind of battle will mean new tactics and new requirements for the Ukrainian military rather than just the light weapons they've been given so far. The country's foreign affairs minister told NATO yesterday that Ukraine needs planes, short of vessel missiles, personal armored vehicles, heavy air defense systems, and more. Here's Finance Minister Chrystia Freeland today about support for Ukraine.
1: Putin and his henchmen are war criminals. The world's democracies, including our own, can be safe only once the Russian tyrant and his armies are entirely vanquished.
0: But how does one do that? Interim opposition leader Candice Bergen says Canada could and should do more. And they're actually asking for some specific uh, weapons and things that the Canadian government could give them. They're, the government's not doing that. So uh, as much as we support anything that we can do to help people in Ukraine, there are more, there's more things the government can do. And so we're going to be pushing them to do those things. Well, my next guest says that what Ukraine needs both is a change of imagination from its partners in the West and new weapons and fast to adapt to a changing conflict. Joining me now from New York City is Uriel Epstein. He's the executive director of the Renew Democracy Initiative. Welcome to the show tonight. Thank you. I, I guess just uh, this—you know—the state of of this these continued attacks on civilians um, continues to horrify. I know that Gary Kasparov, who you work with closely, had talked a bit about. Uh, you know, the capacity for these sorts of crimes against humanity that would have existed in an invasion, uh, we're seeing it happen now. And it must be, uh, it must still come as a shock.
1: You know, here's the thing. I keep reading in the news that Putin and Russia have been engaging in indiscriminate bombing of civilians and of Ukraine. And the fact is that couldn't be further from the truth at this point. Uh, I, I do not think we can claim that it is indiscriminate any longer. It is not it is purposeful. It is absolutely meant to strike terror into the hearts of Ukrainian civilians to destroy their spirit. Um, Quite frankly, there are no military objectives that are served by destroying apartment buildings, by attacking any number of civilian targets, by shooting Ukrainian civilians who are biking to pick up their groceries. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, some of the photos that I'm seeing come out of this and, you know, I'm on any number of telegram channels. And of course I have friends and, 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 and colleagues in Ukraine, <sighs> you know, it's, it's just absolutely heartbreaking. Um, and I have, I, I, yeah, I, I can't, I don't know that I've really any words beyond that.
0: Certainly the work that you do has taken on, I would imagine different meeting in the past 45 some odd days it's it feels like it must have become all very very real very very quickly considering how you know pertinent and, and important it was beforehand
1: yeah i mean i i completely agree um i think for the world and for our organization there will be a before february 24th and after february 24th um we you know rdi's mission the Renew Democracy Initiative's mission is to pull American democracy back from the brink and restore its place as a beacon for global freedom. Right. So there's kind of two elements to that. There's you know our concern for domestic political challenges and and liberal democratic challenges in the U.S. and then our understanding that the U.S. has to be a leader globally. And we believe that those two things are very that um, you know in order for America to be a leader globally, it has to have. It's democracy in order at home. And in order for our democracy to be in order at home, we have to maintain our ethical principles internationally. In other words, if you lose one, I believe you actually lose both. And ultimately, if American democracy stumbles or falls, or if America retreats from the world stage, what you end up with is not just a worldwide democratic recession, but uh, I would argue in a, a straight up depression of, of really astronomical proportions. And when Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th, it demonstrated the stakes, uh, you know, that 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 we're currently experiencing. I mean, it, it proved that, you know, this this battle between tyranny and democracy is not just theoretical. You know, it's not an it's not an academic exercise, I think, as so many people tried to imagine it as. It's something that's incredibly real with incredibly real human stakes. And, you know, so at this point, I would say that our work is to essentially convey to the world that democracy is at stake that confronting dictators is something that matters, not just from a moral and ethical point of view for people who live thousands of miles away from us, but it matters from the point of view of strategy uh, to support our own way of life and support the international system that has allowed the free world to prosper. Because these dictators obviously are not just going to stop Uh, you know, with with their neighbors. They're not just going to stop with their regions. Uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, but Ukraine is merely, as we like to say, on the front lines of freedom. And so if Russia ultimately were to succeed in Ukraine, which to be very clear, I do not believe it will, um, although much of that, I mean, almost all of that really has to do with the bravery of of the Ukrainian army and the Ukrainian population, which has so forcefully stood up against Russia's invasion, despite predictions, not just from Russia, but out of Western intelligence agencies that Ukraine would fall within 96 hours. Um, But anyway, uh, it's not just if Russia were to prevail who would be next, right? I mean, immediately, I think Putin would set his sights on Moldova. Immediately, Putin would set his sights on perhaps the Baltic states. And so one of these arguments that I keep hearing from folks is, oh, well, we can't afford to provoke Putin more. We can't afford to escalate. How much further can you escalate? How much further can you provoke? This is someone who is now launching a genocide, just an out-and-out genocide in a neighbor state with uh, pretexts that are so flimsy that quite frankly, a preteen uh, could see through them. It, it, it absolutely boggles my mind. And well, you know, I, I would go one step further, which is to say that all of these arguments that we, you know, we at this point just need to make sure that the war doesn't devolve into a regional war, that it doesn't become a nuclear war. I would argue that a weak response from the West is the thing that is most likely to lead to those things, not the other way around. If we give Ukraine everything they need to win, that is the best possible way, I think, to avoid both
0: a regional war and a nuclear confrontation. Have you seen, I mean, I think a lot of us have been pleasantly surprised by the level of unity that we've seen, at least within NATO, the level of unity we've seen within the European Union, with some notable exceptions. Um, And the amount of, for instance, Canada didn't send lethal, wouldn't send lethal aid to Ukraine to Ukraine up until the time of the invasion. Uh, Have you been impressed with how much you've seen and how much more do you think needs to be done to be able to have the outcome that you've just described?
1: I always, you know, I I think we always need more. And so, however, what what has happened so far, I think is much more than what Putin expected, but still not enough. uh, not, not enough to actually do what needs to be done with respect to saving Ukrainian lives and actually pushing Russia outside uh, out of Ukraine. So taking a step back, uh, I think we need to examine why it was that the free world wasn't unified before. Right. Because, I mean, this isn't the first time Putin has done something like this. I mean, he invaded Georgia in 2008 to a very tepid international response. He invaded Ukraine the first time in 2014. He carpet bombed Syria in 2015. Uh, and then he sent in his troops to defend Lukashenko in Belarus and Tokayev in Kazakhstan um, in, in, in 19 and 2021. 20, and of course, right now, that, is, that has enabled him to um, use Belarus as a staging ground. Uh, for his invasion of of Ukraine. So I don't think we can look at any of these incidents in isolation. Um, And of course, I think Putin's willingness to invade Ukraine was informed by how weak the Western response was to these previous provocations. And and of course, provocation is a kind of a euphemistic term uh, for mass murder, uh, which which is really what Putin has done in those places. Um, But taking a step back and looking at what the West has done now versus what the West has not been willing to do before, I th- you know, as I mentioned, it comes to a failure of imagination. In other words, prior to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the West simply could not or did not want to imagine that something like this was still possible in today's world. Now, of course, they didn't have to imagine. They could have looked. At Syria. They could have looked at these other places, but they perceived those places as being far off and not being directly relevant to the type of uh, kind of Western modern life that many Europeans and, and, and most of the members of NATO lead. And so Putin's invasion of Ukraine was a shocking wake up call.
0: I'm speaking with Uriel Epstein. He's the executive director of the Renew Democracy Initiative. We've been talking about, uh, first, the attack on a train station in Kramatorsk, more evidence of, of Russia targeting civilians, and also just um, the response from the West and, and allies, Ukraine's partners, so to speak, and how much more needs to be done to make sure that this is, in fact, uh, a fight that Ukraine can win. When we come back, we'll talk a bit more about unity, how to maintain it. Uh, unity has a way of fraying sometimes in bigger alliances, especially uh, vis-a-vis Russia. and We'll get to that after this. I'm back now with Uriel Epstein. He's the executive director of the Renew Democracy Initiative. We're talking about uh, the conflict, the war in Ukraine, the attack today on a crowded train station in the eastern city of Kramatorsk and other evidence, more evidence of Russia targeting uh, civilians in this war, uh, as well as what the West has done and not done to try to make sure that Ukraine is in a position to defend itself, A, and perhaps even win uh, you were saying earlier uh, Uriel just about what the West, what Ukraine needs now. You were talking about this shift in thinking from uh, at first that Ukraine's military could not stand up to Russia to that it could but would eventually have to fight an insurgency to now, well, wait a second, maybe Ukraine can actually succeed in pushing Russia back here and, and, and deliver a decisive victory. And what more will Ukraine need, do you think now to make that happen?
1: So what I think Ukraine needs is a few different categories of weapons. So first and foremost, it needs the it needs longer range weapons, missiles that can target Russian bases that are firing at Ukrainian cities from within Russian territory. Uh, it needs missiles that can hit Russian ships that are firing upon Mariupol and other cities in Ukrainian south. And on this note, I should recognize that the UK has in fact started sending some of those missiles to Ukraine. So I'd like to offer them that recognition. But you know, quite frankly, I'm I'm very surprised and disappointed by the fact that the United States hasn't been sending. Uh, Ukraine. Those weapons. So next, Ukraine needs armor, and that means tanks. It means armored personnel carriers. It means the things that Ukraine will need to actually uh wage a w- uh wage war on an open field in in eastern Ukraine. So thus far, uh, you know, the U- Ukrainian military has have has been able to really make incredible use of stingers and javelins and other things that light infantry can use uh you know by by kind of shooting at a tank and then running back undercover but in order for ukraine to start taking back additional territory in the east and then pushing back against russian advances they're going to need heavier weaponry that can actually stand up in in open combat and so that means uh, tanks, it means armored personnel carriers. And with respect to those tanks, you know, the U.S. has finally said that they'd help facilitate the transfer of Soviet era tanks to Ukraine. That's a great start. Although, of course, what we need to be doing is sending them more advanced, more modern uh, tank weaponry. And so with that, I'd like to make a note that I'm incredibly disappointed with um, the German chancellor's decision to delay uh, uh, their shipment of, of advanced tanks into Ukraine. And again, I just want to highlight that for each and every day of delay that translates into hundreds more people wounded, killed, captured, and in some cases, forcibly deported back into Russia. So these yeah, delays was, have was, real consequence.
0: I was going to ask you about that. We've seen unity, but we're also seeing a bit of disunity now. Germany obviously has trouble, is having trouble trying to commit to cutting off Russian energy uh, purchases. Uh, we are seeing, as you mentioned, the, the slowness in, in sending weapons that Ukraine has been asking for. How How worried are you that despite the early surge of unity, that Time is on Putin's side here
1: I mean i'm I'm very worried uh, <laughs> as I think we all should be um, you know what what we're trying to do at RDI right now is basically put so much of our attention and number one combating Putin's disinformation uh, kind of w- w- in Eastern Europe as well as in the West but number two it's maintaining that level of unity it's galvanizing Western nations to not just continue the level of support that they're already offering but increase that level of support. So I you know it's 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 truly horrific to say but the fact is that I I think atrocities like bucha are only the beginning. As Ukraine starts to take back some of its territory, we're going to discover more and more such atrocities. I can only hope that people will continue to be shocked, outraged at these atrocities and not become inured to them. Um, so that is one concern I have, is that at a certain point when you see so much carnage, you've, you almost become used to it. And I, I think that's incredibly dangerous. We can't afford to become used to it. Um, but but going back to the German example, I mean, yes, Olaf Scholz, the, the, the chancellor, has been delaying the shipment of these advanced tanks, but he's faced opposition from within his own coalition. Uh, Baerbach, the 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 head of the Greens, has stated that Germany, in no uncertain terms, that Germany should be giving, um, uh, should be giving these weapons, as have the liberals. So I am still cautiously optimistic that Germany will come around. Um, but to your point, right now the priority has to be um, speed. We have to give these weapons as soon as humanly possible, because Russia is basically, quote unquote, regrouping for a couple of weeks, but it will continue its offensive um, in, in, in the Ukrainian East. And we have to give Ukrainians what they need to actually uh, uh, defend against that offensive. And I will make one last note here um, in terms of what, what they need to do. So uh, and to be honest, it just blows my mind that we haven't given them this yet, which is the airplanes. I mean, the number one thing that Ukrainians have been asking for for weeks now have been the MiG-29s that Poland has offered to give them as long as the U.S. backfills uh, those planes with F-16s of our own. And the U.S. has been sort of the wrench in this. And and, and I just don't understand why. I, I, you know, I've heard I hear the arguments of like, oh, well, that would be an escalation. That would be an escalation. But again, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I think it's actually more likely to lead to a broader war if we don't give them these things than if we do.
0: Uriel Epstein, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thank
1: you.